0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, guys, we got the whole family with us today. We got Victory Norcross. We got Victory Hamilton Mill. We got Victory North Cobb. We got Victory Midtown. We got Victory online around the world, as well as right in our own backyard. So welcome in for the family. And that's really important that I say that word because today we are kicking off five weeks of talking about family. Everybody say family. Family. Yeah, now here's the deal though. I know when I say family, a lot of us, think a lot of different things, because maybe you had an amazing family growing up. You were given an amazing family that really set you up for success in this world. I know Summer and I, we were thinking about it. Um, both of us on both sides, as far back as we know, like our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, um, they loved Jesus. They stayed together. They were committed to their families. And so they weren't perfect by any means, but we know this. We, Summer and I know that we are the byproduct of generational blessings. We know that, right? But maybe you weren't given that. Maybe you were given a painful family with with brokenness, with divorce, with pain, with abuse. And as you've grown a little bit older, it's caused some issues um, in your life. And to complicate all that, we are now in a world that is relentlessly trying to redefine family right? Like we got divorce everywhere, gay marriage, our our kids are growing up confused about their sexuality. And what it's produced is this whole thing of like, a lot of us don't even know what to think about family. Like what is family, right? Like, like, I don't even know if I want to get married. I don't even want to, I don't even know if I want to have kids. Like, and a lot of us don't even know if we can stay married. A lot of us are like, how in the world do I even parent kids in this world? Come on, somebody like it is. It is not for for the weak to try and parent kids in this world right now. But by the time this series is over, I want you to believe I can do this. I can do this. Come on here in this room across all of our campuses. If you're with your spouse, look at them and say, we can do this. Come on. (laughs) Come on, we can do this. We can do this because if you didn't inherit a good family story, or maybe you haven't had a good family story up until this time, the good news is you can start today. You can start a good family story today. I believe that there is healing and hope for all of our relationships. So in case you need the reminder here at Victory, we're about more white wedding dresses, Come on, we're about killing divorce in our generation. Come on, we're about fun, fulfilling, passionate marriages that are measured in decades, not days. Come on, we're about training up children to love Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength to be leaders in their generation. Come on, we are about breaking generational curses here in this church. You may have been handed a lineage of broken promises and broken families, but listen, you may have been given generational curses, but what's going to come out of your line is generational blessing because it stops with you. It stops with you. The curse stops with you because you're in a place that believes in second chances. You're in a place that believes in hope and redemption, no matter what's happened before this point in your story. And guess what, guys? We're also about successful single seasons. And I know nobody, nobody wants to talk about that. No, we're about successful single seasons as well. Why? Because we're about building family. God has called us to build the family and we're about helping you and equipping you to win in your family. Come on. Somebody say, I want to win in my family. Come on, Midtown. You in? I want to win in my family. So here's what we're doing. We're spending a few weeks talking about the family. So as traditional families, as blended families, as singles, as single parents, what we're really wanting to dive into is is learning how to do family on purpose. What does it look like to do family on purpose? Because if we're honest, guys, that's one of the biggest problems right now is we are not doing family on purpose. We're just kind of coexisting. We are glorified roommates. Come on, we pass in the kitchen. You know, or, or every three weeks we pass in the bedroom. Come on, we're just, we're just like living around each other, right? We're not doing things on purpose. And here's the problem. When we don't do family on purpose, then family just kind of happens, right? And the world gets into our families. Families that don't live on purpose, here's what it looks like. Dad has an affair. Mom gets addicted to painkillers. The kids get addicted to porn, right? And what it looks like is the 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 house looks good on the outside, but the family's a mess on the inside. And what we want, what we're after, is that the outside would match the inside, right? We're about doing family on purpose. So if we do family on purpose, that changes everything. Now, here's the question. Here's the question, not a trick question. What's our purpose? Come on, we just spent five weeks on it in our true north series i'm not i don't know what is that our purpose what's our purpose Our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to know Jesus and to make him known, to enter into God's way of life. Come on guys, how many of you know that God created the family? So God knows how the family works. And when we do it God's way, it works. It works. And if that's our purpose, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, then that changes how we do our family, right? If I I exist to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, that changes who I date, that changes how I date, that changes who I marry, that changes how I I conduct myself in my marriage, that that changes how we, we parent our kids, that changes how we relate to our parents, that changes everything about our family, when we actually do it on purpose. So here's the deal, today I wanna introduce you to a couple who's gonna show us how to bring purpose into our families. And uh, if I'm just being honest, this is a couple that historically has not gotten nearly enough airtime in the church because they're a power couple. On, I, want, I love some power couples in the Bible, and they're the ones who are going to show us how to bring purpose into our families. And the first time that we see them is in Acts 18, the book of Acts chapter 18. Here, here's what it says. After this, now here's the deal. Whenever you read that, that means there was something before this. Right? You understand how that's how that works. So there's an Acts 17 before this. So what, where's Paul been? Paul has been in Athens with the smartest people in the world at Mars Hill uh, debating them. And so after this, Paul left Athens and he went to a place called Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Achilla. A native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews And Greeks. So pause. Okay, let me just give you the context. Here's what's happening politically in that time of the world, all right? The Roman emperor, who basically controls the known world, his name's Claudius at that time, and he has decided in 49 AD he's gonna kick all the Jews out of Rome, very likely because of the ongoing fights over Jesus. All right, and so it's made its way all the way to Rome, and Claudius is like, forget you guys, all of you have to go. So in 49 AD, there is this exile that happens of all the Jews, and the ones who find themselves caught up with it is this power couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who have to go and find a new home. And here's what happens. They land in Corinth, way east of Rome. But you know, you guys know me by now. I'm a geography nerd, so where's Corinth. Alright, Corinth is 50 miles pretty much due west of Athens. Now, here's what's really unique about Corinth. It was basically like the Beverly Hills of Greece. Right? It was the center of influence, it was the center of commerce, it, it was where all the like influencers lived, right, at that time. Why? Because basically Greece comes down to this little narrow point and then bows back out. And over here is Athens. And on the west side of this little narrow strip is Corinth. And today, if you go there, there's actually a canal where ships can pass through this, this, you know, cutting off days of travel to go through from the west side, basically all of Europe over into Athens. But at that time, it didn't exist. So if you were going to send goods to Athens, which the whole world was sending and shipping goods to Athens, you had to offload them at Corinth and then take them over to Athens. And so it's the perfect place to be if you're in business. And so Priscilla and Achilla, Achilla and Priscilla, they set up shop there in Corinth. And so I, I actually, um, Summer and I were there this last spring. Really cool. Um, they actually believed that they found where Priscilla and Achilla set up shop. There's Christian writings and paintings and stuff on the inside. And this is where Paul came because this couple sold tents. They sold canopies, things that were really, um, you know, marketable at that time. And so Paul's in the same business and he comes to Corinth. Why? Because he knows it's a crossroads. And he knows if I can get the gospel to take root in Corinth, then it's gonna spread out from there. If I can get it in the major city, then it's going to spread out from there. That's why Paul always looked for the cities of influence to plant the gospel in. And so Paul rolls into Corinth, and then he starts hearing about this couple, Achilla and, and his wife Priscilla, who are already believers, who are in the same trade that he is, making tents, who already know all the people there in Corinth. And so it's a natural connection. So Paul moves in with Achilla and Priscilla for a year and a half. He's just like Jesus. He's like, look, always looking for a free meal. You know? so, so Paul lands in Achilla and Priscilla's house. And here, here's, here's where we pick back up with it. Acts 18, verse 18. So Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Yes, a year and a half. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Achilla. Pause. Now, some of you didn't notice what just happened and you ain't ready for it. Whose name is mentioned first? So in Acts 18, verse one and two, we're introduced to Aquila and Priscilla. In verse 18, we're introduced to... Her name's mentioned first. Guys, I I can't overstate how big of a deal this is. This is a patriarchal society, right? This this is where men had their role and wives had their role, which was in the house, which is with the kids, which which is making food, maybe maybe creating a few little goods here and there. But what's happening is Luke is chronicling Paul's acts, right? That's where the book of Acts comes comes from, Luke. He's chronicling Paul's life. And so Luke and Paul, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. I don't know if you're ready for this. Luke and Paul are actually saying that Priscilla was the stronger leader. (laughs) Some of you are like, I don't like this church. (laughs) What's wrong with this church? Not the Bible. Well, it is the Bible, that's the problem. (laughs) So they left Corinth and then they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left. Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they're there in the synagogue, they asked him to spend more time with them. He declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. So again, the context here, what's happening? Once the gospel takes root in Corinth, right? Paul, Paul says, hey, that church is strong enough there, so I'm gonna move on to the next city. And he sails up, basically north to this place called Ephesus, but he doesn't go alone. He brings Priscilla and Aquila with him. Now, here's here's the reality. Okay, is this was not a safe trip? This wasn't like traveling from from Lawrenceville to Buford. You know what I'm saying? Like like this is eight days of stormy waters, shipwrecks, dangerous people trying to rob you. He goes eight days north and he takes this couple with him. Now here's the deal. They don't just leave for a little while. Priscilla and Achilla, they uproot. They, 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 they give up the security of their business. They, they give up their home. If they, if they had children, they bring their children with them. They give up everything they've ever known and they move to a different place. Now here, here let's just think of it like this. Ephesus was pretty much like Atlanta. All right. It's, it's this like crossroads, right? Where all the interstates come together. And if you want to get somewhere, you got to go through there. So again, Paul's looking for the center of influence. He's like, if I can get that gospel planted there, then it can scatter out of that city. And so Paul goes, Paul leaves Corinth and he goes up to Ephesus, but he doesn't go alone. He takes Priscilla and Achilla. And here's what happens, guys. I mean, you just saw it. He basically goes into the synagogue. He preaches, a few people get saved, and then he leaves. And they're like, hey, would you stay with us? Nah, I gotta go, Jesus. And he just leaves like a week later. But he doesn't leave this little baby church alone. He leaves Priscilla and Achilla there to hold down the fort. And then what happens? You basically fast forward five years later and then Paul writes back to the church in Corinth. Remember where he first met Priscilla and Achilla and here it is in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. The church, he, he's sending these final greetings. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings, church in Corinth. He says, Achilla and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. Guys, I I love this. It's it's the little nuances. It's the little details of the Bible that we often overlook. Here's what's happening. Paul's writing to this church that was jacked up. All right, if you haven't read the book of 1 Corinthians lately, it's jacked up. Like a lot of people are like, I can't go to church. It's messy. It's been messy for 2000 years. Why? Because it's comprised of people, people like you. (laughs) Some of you are online right now. I can't be around all those hypocrites. Yeah, you too, (laughs) right? 2,000 years of this, but here's the good news. The gates of hell will never overcome it, right? If God's in it, if Jesus Christ, if the church is built on Jesus, it's going to be okay. Right? That's what we're about. And so Paul writes to this church to correct them. And then as he's closing down that letter, he's like, hey, by the way, remember when I left you, I took Priscilla and Achilla with me. Hey, they're doing okay. In fact, I left them in Ephesus and they opened up their home and the church is meeting in their home. They're actually the leaders of the church in this city called Ephesus. And so from there, Paul writes to this family two more times. All right. So Romans 16. Romans 16, um, uh, just, just so we're clear, Romans 16 is to the church in Rome. You get that? Got that part? You're like, I don't know how they come up with these names. <laughs> Paul's writing letters to churches in cities, okay? And so this is a church in Rome. And so he, he ends his whole letter. Pretty much all of Romans 16 is like, hey, greet these people and greet these people and greet these people. Why? Because there was no email There was no phones, right? Like you you had to write it in a letter. And so, Paul is writing a letter to the church there in Rome and he ends it with this. He says, hey, greet Priscilla and Achilla. Here's what I love, guys. Um, I counted pretty much right at 30 people or people groups in uh, Romans 16 that Paul is sending a greeting to. And the first one he greets are Priscilla and Achilla. And by the way, he's writing to the church in Rome. Wait a second. That means Priscilla and Aquila aren't in Ephesus anymore. They're now in Rome. They went back home. They went back home. So they, they went from Rome to Corinth, up to Ephesus, back home to Rome. And Paul's writing to them and he calls them what? He calls them my coworkers in Christ Jesus. In the Greek, that word is synergos. What Paul's saying is there's a synergy between me and this couple. Like we click. And he calls them my coworkers. That word co-workers, Paul only uses a handful of times. He uses it for people who, um, who preach the gospel with him. He uses it for people who opened up their, their home for a church. He uses it for people who were in prison with him. He uses it um, for, for people who led the church in his absence. And he says, these guys are my coworkers. Then he says, they risked their lives for me. Again, in the Greek, that's they risked their necks for me. Very likely what happened is in Acts 19, remember when they were all back in Ephesus, there was actually a riot where they're trying to kill Paul. And and the thinking is probably they opened up their home and they, they hid Paul during that time. And then he says, not only I, but all the churches, the Gentiles are grateful to them. I want you to just think about this for a second. This is this couple who fled Rome because this edict came out that said you gotta go. And now Paul's saying, not only I, the greatest evangelist who ever lived, but every single church that I lead is thankful for this couple. Priscilla and Akilah have become basically like household names. People are praying and thanking God for them. When they're breaking the bread, they're like, hey, did you hear any news about Priscilla and Aquila?" Like these guys have shown up on the radar because of their faithfulness. And then finally, about eight years after that, where Paul writes to the church in Rome. He mentions these two for the very last time. And he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, back in Ephesus. And he closes the letter saying this in 2 Timothy chapter four. He says, greet Priscilla and Achilla and the household of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. Greet Priscilla and Achilla. Now here's the deal, guys. You need a little bit of context here to really appreciate what's happening. Paul's writing to Timothy back in Ephesus. So now they're not in Rome anymore, right? Why? Because the church needed them back in Ephesus. So they left Rome and their comfort and they went back to Ephesus. So this family's gone from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus to Rome, back to Ephesus, right? Because they, needed to, they wanted to be wherever they were needed. And here's what's happening, guys, 2 Timothy 4. This is Paul's last letter. This is the last words that Paul ever writes in fact, while Paul is writing this, he's in what's called the Mamertine prison. I've been there as well. There, listen, this is not like the American prison system. Um, this is a cave in the ground that they built a building on top of. And so what's happening is Paul is in like the third level down where they put this like hole in the ground, literally about this, this big, and then they would lower people on a rope down. And what happens is, if you can imagine it, everything flows down. And so Paul's down on the bottom, the third level down here, and he's writing this in chains. He's writing it in the pitch black. He's writing it in the cold. How do I know that? Because Paul says, hey, Timothy, bring me a coat when you come. He's writing this letter on parchment given to him, brought to him by somebody else under the the flickering light of a lamp. It's his last words. He knows he's about to be martyred for his faith in Jesus. In fact, the thinking is he's probably just a few weeks away from being beheaded outside of Rome. And Paul's writing to Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, I'm about to go, but I fought the good fight. I've run the race. And now Timothy, it's your turn. I'm passing the baton to you. Keep moving it forward. Keep the ball moving down the field. Come on, defend the faith, fight for the faith. Keep leading the church. Keep this thing moving forward. He said, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. Don't be discouraged when they take me out. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. And right before he puts his final period in the parchment, he says, oh, by the way, give Priscilla and Aquila a hug for me. And that's it. Like, that's the last words of Paul. And that's the last words of Priscilla and Aquila and their amazing family. And while I was reading their story this last week, I felt this tenderness in the heart of God for this family. Uh, Honestly, here's what I really felt. Like God was saying, hey, handle with care. Because I believe that God adores families who give it all for Jesus. And when we look at Priscilla and Aquila, I believe that they show us a few things about how to do family on purpose. Here's what happens, guys, when you do family on purpose. First thing is marriage makes you better. Marriage makes you better. Guys, I know there's a whole lot of skepticism right now about marriage, but when you do it God's way, it makes you better. Marriage makes you better. Now, single people, hear me, hear me. I need to dispel the myth, especially in the church, that you have to be married to fulfill God's will for your life. You do not have to be married to fulfill God's will for your life. How do I know? Jesus. Jesus was single, and he fulfilled everything that he was ever called to do. But if you are gonna get married, which most of you are, I know you think you're not, but you are, you better believe that who you marry matters. Amen. Who you marry matters. How many of you know that who you marry can make or break your life? Come on, guys. Who you marry can be the biggest blessing of your life or it can be the biggest curse of your life. Proverbs eighteen twenty-two says this, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Come on, men of the house, come on. You believe that? Come on, can you attest to that? All right, Proverbs 21.9 says this, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Come on, guys, how many? No, don't, don't do it, don't do it. Don't raise your hand. Your ribs will never recover. (laughs) I have permanent bruises from summer. Guys, it, marries, it matters who you marry, right? Um, how, who you marry will steer your life. Why? Because you're partnered with him. Like you're locked, you've locked arms with him. So who you marry can either steer your life off a cliff or it can make you better, right? It can make you better. It can lead you and in further into the path that God has for your life. Now I'd say it like this for myself. I can say with full confidence that I would not be here today if it wasn't for summer, if it wasn't for my wife, summer. Here, here's the reality. Here's what I know. She made me better. All right. If she had married somebody else, he would be the pastor of victory right now. <laughs> That's how this thing works. Guys, I'm telling you, she makes you better. She makes you better. And it's the same thing with Priscilla and Aquila. with Aquila and Priscilla, right? Right. They're, they're mentioned six times in the Bible and every single time they're mentioned together right Akilah's not off doing his thing Priscilla's not off doing her thing no they are better together right Priscilla made him better Akilah made her better now here's the here's the truth guys if you're just living for the moment living without purpose right like you don't you don't care if you're married eight times and have 15 illegitimate children and like you know what I'm saying if you don't if you don't care that you're spreading generational curse if you if you want to be single and alone when you're 90 then just do whatever you want to do marry whoever you want to marry right But if you actually care about your future, if you actually want to see generational blessing come on the other side of you to the next generation, then you need to make sure that the person that you're marrying is on the same mission as you are. That you're going in the same direction, that you're locking arms together because they will steer you. In fact, that's why I'd say it like this, is that the best marriage counseling you'll ever get Is premarital counseling because who you marry is half the battle, right? Doing the hard work before you get married will save you the excruciating work after you get married, which is why go with me, which is why we don't believe in missionary dating (laughs) where you date the person trying to get them to become a Christian. Oh, no, no, I got that. I can date him to Jesus. You making out with him will not lead him to Jesus. All Listen, all missionary dating does is it leads to what I call Galvation, where an unsaved guy meets a Christian gal. Boom, salvation. Experience Galvation. Woo, yeah, I love Jesus too. Yeah, I'll go to church with you. Yeah, what else do you need me to do just to make you happy, okay? And then that lasts until you get married. And then the real person comes out and, and you're like, where did you come from? And he's like, I've been here all along, honey. (laughs) And doing what I do, I have seen this up close and personal a thousand times. Listen, I've, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Listen, I, listen, we all do this like uh, guys and girls do missionary dating, but but somehow let just go with me. Come on, please give me grace. Somehow Christian girls are more likely to do it because there's this subtle desperation and societal pressure and all these things that come down upon you, and you end up compromising who you are for the sake of putting a ring on it. All right, so we gotta stay focused, guys. We gotta stay focused. Gotta stay focused. Put your hands up. (laughs) All right. I've told girls I'm sorry, and I really am sorry. I've told girls that I'm sorry, but I will not marry you and your unregenerate, (laughs) unborn again fiance. Why? No, why? Why? It's important to understand why. Because I know you love him, but does he even know what love is? Because Ephesians 5 says that a husband is called to love his wife like Christ loves the church. If he does not know Christ, how can he love you like Christ? And I know you say like, no, no, I can manage it. No, we can make it work. Listen, and that, that you might be able to stretch it out until you have kids. But what happens when you wanna raise your kids to see Jesus as Lord and he wants to raise your kids to deny Jesus as Lord? And I know it feels like you can manage it, but that's because you've never sat across the table from a newly married wife who her husband is now threatening to divorce her because she tithes. That's my money. How dare you give away my money? That's because you've never sat across the table from, from a wife who in this church, wives, plural, who their husbands have divorced them in this church and then tried to bring the other woman to this church. By the way, if that's you, you need to go. You need to go. Ushers, so we can show them the door. Why? Because we're always gonna protect the, the victim. We're always an advocate. Jesus is always the advocate for the victim. What happens when you wanna open up your home as a house church, but she doesn't? Listen, like Priscilla Priscilla and like you wanna do it, but they're not on board because you're not partnered together. What happens, ladies, when God gives you a leadership gift like Priscilla had, but you married your husband because he was hot or had a lot of money, not because he loved Jesus, and so he's not on board with that and wants you to just stay in your place? Guys, marriage can make your life worse or it can make your life better. Marriage can cause you to wilt or marriage can cause you to bloom. Now, here's the deal. If you're already married, it is what it is. All right? Some of you are thinking like, plan B. (laughs) No, listen. If you're already married, take heart. Come on, have hope. If your husband or wife right now is not close to the Lord, you get to be a part of the process. You get to love them to Jesus. You get to pray for them to Jesus. Don't give up on them. Come on, don't give Nothing's impossible with God. What's impossible with mankind is possible with God. What a marriage counselor can never do, God can do. Right, I want to give you hope that your husband, your wife, wayward, whatever's going on, they can actually be the most passionate, sold out, on fire, convicted Christian in the history of the world. Because nothing's impossible with God. And so what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to bring Jesus right back and center into the middle of your marriage. And you're gonna have to kick offense out because right now offense is in the center of your marriage. And the accuser of the brethren is at work because he hates you and he hates your marriage. And he wants generational curses to continue moving through you. And you gotta put your foot down and you gotta say, it stops with me. It stops with me. So work on you. Listen. A lot of single people are like, "I'm looking for the one." What if you just tried to become the one worth finding? Instead of expecting somebody else to be the one, come on, work on you, work on you. And it, listen, be committed to sticking with this entire series. And I want to give you this because I don't want to get it to get lost anywhere. Victoryatl.com/slash/marriage-help. VictoryATL.com slash marriage help. Okay, here's what this is. This is a toolkit for resources if your marriage is going great. It's also a toolkit if your marriage is on life support. And here's one of the best kept secrets in Victory, I'm giving it to you right now, okay? VictoryATL.com slash marriage help. Is that there's a section on there that you don't have to wait three months to get marriage help. Literally today. Or tomorrow. There's a calendar where you can click it and schedule a Zoom meeting like today with marriage leaders inside the church. Today, tomorrow, Wednesday, whatever. You don't have to schedule time to be able to come in. No, they've made themselves available to you across all the campuses today. Victoryatl.com slash marriage Okay? Because your marriage can make you better when you do it on purpose when you do it on purpose? What else does Priscilla and Akilah show us about doing family on purpose? That when you do family on purpose, all you own belongs to Jesus. All you own belongs to Jesus. Guys, we, we see this in Priscilla and Akilah's life, that their time, their money, their marriage, their business, if they had them, their kids, their security, their home, everything that they owned, they held it out with an open hand. Here's, here's our problem, guys, is we see, we see our stuff as our stuff, but not if Jesus is king. Listen, if Jesus is king, then it's his stuff and we're stewards of it. Amen. And here, here's the problem. Can I just be honest real quick? Here's the problem. That when we have nothing, listen, when you're poor, broke, uneducated, homeless, you're like, God, have it all. Yeah. Yeah. You can have it all. <laughs> take it, Jesus. <laughs> but something happens over time, doesn't it? Something happens over time, right? You know, when you get married, some, some, all of those, those hands start turning inward, right? And then when you have kids, especially, and then when you get that degree and get that job and get that steady paycheck, you're like, mm, God, I'll give you 10% sometime. And we've got to get back to this place, guys, that it's all his. If Jesus is king, it's all his. My security, my comfort, my time, it's all his. See, Priscilla and aquila they live by Mark eight thirty-five. So This is Jesus' words. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my, Jesus, and for the gospel, will save it. Guys, they stuck their necks out for Paul. They risked it. Come on, they they used their lives for God's glory. They moved from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus to Rome back to Ephesus at least. They opened up their their home to Paul for a year and a half. They they opened up their home for the the, the church to meet in their home. And guys, here's the question. What would happen if we just got to this place of starting to pry our hands off of our stuff and just say, God, let your kingdom come. And let your will be done here on earth, in my family, through my family, through my stuff, which is really your stuff. God, I just want to be a good steward. God, just take anything and everything that I have and just use it for you. Like it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. I, I know. Listen, I just met with a millionaire recently. He doesn't go to the church, by the way. I'm trying to get him. Okay. <laughs> but, but he said this, he's got all the money in the world, but he's like, I, I pray before I buy anything. He's like, this is not mine. That money's not mine. He says it's God's. It's God's. He prays before he buys a car. He prays before he goes to the store, whatever that is. What would happen if we just started holding our stuff out with open hands? Because when you do family on purpose, you realize that it's all Jesus is anyways. And here's the last thing that we learn from Priscilla and Achilla, that when you do family on purpose, you are the success of the local church. You're the, I know that's phrased oddly. Okay. But listen, that's, ah, that's the only way I could get that out is that you are the success of the local church. That when you do family on purpose, you are not a passive observer. You're an active participant. That you, listen, you, yes, you are embedded in in the work of God, the kingdom of God advancing in this city, in your city, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. We're not just sitting back. We're not just being consumers. Come on. We're being contributors when we do family on purpose. Too many of us are just sitting back watching it all happen. And I'm not even just talking about the church service. I'm talking about the movement of God, the church at work in the cities that you are the success of the local church. And guys, and this is what happened with Priscilla and Akila. Listen, here's what they didn't do. Here's what they didn't do. Priscilla and Akila did not watch On Demand twice a month because he works on Sundays and they like to take vacations. I don't know, I'm going to Lake Tahoe. And know, I'm a little tired this morning, and so I'll just watch on Wednesday. <laughs> That's what a consumer does. Why? Because this is a product. And I, every once in a while, I'll put a little, few little tokens in the slot and I'll receive a product. No, 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 no. You are the success of the local church. Priscilla and Nicole, they opened up their home, the most vulnerable, private, intimate space for the kingdom to come in their home. Ain't just sit back and watch somebody else do it. No, they pressed into it. Priscilla and Achilla were a part of planning the church in Corinth, in Ephesus, and in Rome. Come on. Three of the most important cities in the early world. Four books of the Bible were written to those three, three churches in those three cities that they were helping to hold together. Paul brought Priscilla and Achilla to Ephesus. He preaches a handful of people get saved, but he knows the importance of that city. And he says, who who can I leave this work with? So it doesn't all crumble when I leave. Who can I trust? Who can actually correct heresy when it creeps up? Who can, who can make disciples in the city? Who is willing to open up their home and actually see the kingdom come? I know Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla. Listen, I thought about this, this last week, Priscilla and Achilla are even the reason why we have the book of Ephesians. Because without them, there is no church in Ephesus for Paul to write to. Without Priscilla and Aquila, there's no Ephesians 2. For we are saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works or else we could boast. There is no Ephesians 2. Without Priscilla and Aquila, there's no Ephesians 6, the armor of God. How many of you pray the armor of God? That doesn't exist without Priscilla and Achilla. Guys, Paul is the one. Listen who gets all the credit for leading the church, evangelizing the known world, but he didn't do it by himself. That would have been impossible and he knew it. And here's what I know. I know that Summer and I get the credit for what happens here. I know Pastor Denison Colleen got the credit for what happened here for 30 years. Come on, building a church from scratch right? Tens of thousands of people, millions of dollars given into missions and families being built and 142 cultures being reconciled, nations being reconciled. Come on. And communities transformed and nations impacted and pastors planted churches begun, all that sort of stuff. But here's the deal, guys. We did not do it by ourselves. This church, please listen to me. This church was not built on good sermons. This church was built on the work of faithful men and women and faithful families and Priscilla's and Achilles who are holding down the fort, doing the work of the ministry at the ground level and fasting and praying for the leadership of this church and fasting and praying for their family and fasting and praying for their neighbors and loving their neighbors as the Lord has loved them and making disciples and opening up their homes for the kingdom to come at the neighborhood level. Listen guys, Family, you are the success of the local church. You are the success of the local church. And there are dozens of Priscilla's and Achilles in this church that the weight of this house rests upon. And guys, in case there's any, any confusion, it is all of us together who determine the success of this church. The day that this becomes a consumer, put a few dollars in a bucket so that somebody comes up here and speaks a message, guys, this church dies. The gospel has always proceeded out from a word spoken, brought into the hearts of individuals, taken back into families so it would come alive in neighborhoods. You are the success of the local church. And your faces have been passing in my mind at all our campuses this last week at Hamilton Mill. Your faces, Midtown, your faces. North Cobb, your faces. Here in this house, your faces. Come on, even online, I see some of you. You're faithful every single week. And I thank God for you. I thank God for you. You are the Priscilla's and the Achilles of this house. You are the success of the local church. And I love you. I thank God for you. And listen, if I was writing a letter to victory, (laughs) like Paul so often did, towards the end, I would greet a handful of people. But there's one name that I definitely would not leave out. I'd say, hey, Victory, greet Daryl and Tanya Mims for me. This is a Priscilla and Aquila who have been holding down the fort for decades. And Daryl has been on staff for 23 years. And now, today, he's retiring. And so let's do this, Daryl and Tanya, can you come up here to the platform? I wanna honor you. I don't have enough time to, to say how I feel about this couple, um, their legacy, the respect that Summer and I and Pastor Dennis and Colleen have for this couple right here. Um, Daryl has actually been on staff for 23 years, and as he says, he's been on staff for four decades, <laughs> 99 <laughs> through 22 um, and he's served in many capacities that both have, but um, Daryl served in the capacity of what many of you would call just called the CFO chief financial officer of this church um, together. They serve as what, um, when I first came on staff, somebody told me they was like, here's what you need to know about Daryl and Tanya. They're like the underground revivalist of victory is that they are intercessors and they fast and they pray. It's the unseen part of the church that does war in the, in the, in the heavenlies before we even walk in the room. And I thank God for that. I thank God for that. You know, scripture says that a faithful man is hard to find, especially when it comes to money, especially when it comes to millions of dollars of money over decades. And so I'll just say this. Pastor Dennis has said this before I say this today is that Your faithful giving, God's blessing, and this man's stewardship is the reason that Victory Church is out of debt. Hamilton Mill, the reason why we were able to build the building that you're sitting in years ago is because of this man's stewardship. Midtown, the reason why you're in a building today that's built out, looks really nice, is because of this man's stewardship. North Cobb, the reason why your facilities are paid for, debt-free, is because of this man's stewardship. So we need to give honor where honor is due. And so let's do this. Let's stretch out our hands and let's pray over this couple is is they are taking this next step into a new season. And so Father, I thank you, it is true. I'll say this, you say a faithful man, I say a faithful couple is hard to find. Faithful family is hard to find. But right here, we have a faithful man, we have a faithful woman, we have a faithful family who's raised their children up in this church. A Priscilla and Aquila right here, who are a blessing to so many people. Even like Paul said, I and all of the churches give thanks for them. (laughs) Today, we give thanks for this couple. And God, I pray that in the faithfulness that they have sown in prayers and in tears, in fasting and in working in faithful stewardship, God, for decades, that you would pour it back into them in this next season. And God, in ways that only you can do, I bless them right now and I pray that their latter years would be greater than their former years. God, as they step into this new season, may it be a new season of intimacy in their marriage, a new season of intimacy in the relationship with you, a a, a season of adventure, I see that, and a blessing that will continue to ripple out to the families and the cities that they find themselves in. God, I thank you for 23 years of faithful work here at Victory, and right now, we bless them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, "Amen." amen, amen. Hey, let's remain standing, okay? And let's pray. Father, right now, I thank you. I thank you for this couple. And God, I turn and I thank you for the faithful families of this house, of this church, who have been leading in their homes, in their workplaces, in their communities for decades. Decades. Bless them in Jesus' name. God, I bless the couples in this next season who are gonna open up their homes for house churches. This is something we're about to turn the page on here at Victory and begin a new season of taking the gospel and planning it in the neighborhoods through our homes. And so, Father, I pray a blessing upon all those about to open up their homes for house churches in the name of Jesus. We've been feeling this in prayer. There's some of you that the Lord is still calling, especially in the latter seasons of life. Maybe your your, your children are out of the home. Maybe you're even in that grandparent stage that God is calling you into the season of opening up your hands and saying, God, let your kingdom come and opening up your doors and then inviting your family to come into the church that meets in your home. Gotta pray a blessing upon everybody who's opening up their homes for house churches in this next season. And right now I pray a blessing over all of us. In fact, I'd, I'd say this, if you've just been hearing me talk about Priscilla and Aquila and the, the home they had and the family and the way that they lived, and you want some of those aspects to be true of your family, let's just stretch our hands up. I say, we want to be like Priscilla. We want to be like Akilah. We want to be like that family. God, I thank you for the faithfulness of this couple, this power couple that still inspires us so many years later. God, I pray for that anointing that they operated and that obedience that they operated and that love and that peace and that joy that they had. God, to become ours as we aren't just consumers, but we're contributors and we carry the gospel with us everywhere that we go. And I, sense, I pray that we would sense your smile upon our families today in Jesus' name. But I know this, it's only possible as we come to faith in Christ. And so here's the deal, here, here's the good news today, is that the front door is open and Jesus is welcoming us in. And so today's the day, you, you heard me a second ago say this, that it's only possible to really bring love into your family if you're receiving love. You can only give away what you first received. And so right now, the love of God through Christ is available to you, to love your wife, as Christ loves the church, to love your husband, come on, to love your children, children, for you to love your parents. And it's possible when we bow our knee and say, Jesus is Lord, so let's do this together. Today, if you say, I- I'm gonna need to go all in with Jesus, I wanna invite you to pray with me across all of our campuses, let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, you are Lord, your God, your savior. So right now I repent and I turn from my sin, my brokenness, the way I've been living, I leave it behind and I turn to you. I put my faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God, the king of the world and my savior. Right now, God is my father. And I am your child, all because of Jesus. I am forgiven, and I am free. And from this day forward, I will love as I have been loved by God. In Jesus' name. And right now, Father, I pray this final blessing upon your children. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God, I pray for fresh shalom, pervading peace. That's not just on the outside, a peace that comes into the soul. God, I pray for this peace from the top of our head to the soles of our feet to come into our marriages, God, to come into the singles, to come into our children. And I pray, God, that the kingdom would radiate out of these spaces today, back into our neighborhoods, back into our homes, back into our workplaces, as we carry it with us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.